0: Welcome everyone to episode number five. Okay, so today we're going to talk about something we've like sort of talked about before, but is a really big stress point for sales and marketing, and why there's a lot of tension. And that is data. We're really going to dive into like the nitty gritty of attribution and intent, and kind of try to figure out like what is the data that really gets sales teams excited and have them use, and maybe what's the data that's a little less important that marketers think are really important. And also talk about like how a misalignment on things like attribution, data, goals can lead to some tension between marketing and sales. And today we are so lucky and incredible to have a rockstar marketer on with us to talk about data. And today we're talking with Kevin White. So Kevin is the head of marketing at Common Room, but previously worked as head of growth and marketing at insanely impressive SaaS companies like Segment and Retool. And this is extra fun for us because for any like real listeners who listen to every podcast, you've heard Ben and I talk about before how we're such big fans of the retool marketing. So Kevin, this was, this is an exciting one for us. A little bit of an all-star moment.
1: I appreciate the kind words. Uh, I can't take a lot of credit uh, or all the credit for uh, for segment and retool's success. I just joined really, I got really lucky at picking companies, I guess. But it's great to see even after I've left, like what the team has been doing there. And uh yeah, shout out to my old team, uh, especially uh, Kevin Garcia out at, at Retool. He's a phenomenal marketer and should probably be on the podcast too. But everyone else there is also really great. So nothing but good things to say about uh, all those companies. I just feel very lucky and privileged to have had that experience uh, in my past. So great.
0: That's awesome. And we'll take anyone from Retool. This will just become the uh, Retool interview podcast, I guess. And before we dive into you know data, sales, all that, Kevin, I know it's two o'clock your time, so you're drinking something a little different, but what you're drinking today?
1: Yes, I am having a Whole Foods branded sparkling water, ginger flavored sparkling water. I would love to have a drink right now, but I have five calls after this and I probably shouldn't be uh, inebriated for any of those. So uh, sticking to sparkling water right now. Yeah,
0: probably a good idea. Ben knows sometimes I like send an email or Slack after this and I'm like, ooh, maybe not. Maybe I'll take a little break. And Ben, what about you?
2: I am drinking a Coors Banquet, the original bottle. And the cap today says a hard day's work deserves a beer. So that feels, um, feels very fair. And uh, yeah, excited to have you today, Kevin. Thank you so much for the time. Of course.
1: I'm guessing this is not sponsored by Coors, but that would be cool if they were floating you drinks.
2: Not yet. Not yet. I mean, we're, we're certainly open. I would take, uh, I mean, any alcohol company, Natalie, I think we would accept sponsorship from.
0: We are open. Any sponsor? anyone. But I think that's my goal of this podcast. Well, now we know what everyone's drinking. Kevin, curious, you know, we asked you before this episode, like what you're passionate about, what would you be excited to talk about sales and marketing? And you had a lot of topics around data. So just curious, like, why is this such a passion point for you?
1: I think it's actually stems from my time at segments and just seeing the power there of using data and like what data is available. I feel like in the past, the data that marketers had access to was pretty limited and linear. It was like, who visited your website? Did they fill in a form? And like, did they book a meeting with your sales team? And once Segment came along and having like a CDP of something that's like, okay, you know, there's a lot more data out there and we'll help you ingest that data and like federate it to your data stack and your sales team, your customer success team to like different platforms, then it's like, oh, wow, that can really open my eyes. Like, oh, there's a ton of data that can be used to not only like help your marketing and sales team do their job better, but really like make the customer experience better and personalized. And it's just almost like the more data that we have, the better user experience you can create and also the more context you can give to your go-to-market team. So, you know, seeing the power of that has made me more passionate about it, but then also seeing it work the way that it's intended by servicing the right kind of signals to your team and then be like, oh, wow, this really worked when I saw the signal and took action on this, then it was just like, oh, wow, we shouldn't be pulling on this thread and um, figuring out how to make data work more for us. So that's you know, where it stems from.
0: You just perfectly predicted my next question, which was going to be, I think a lot of marketers probably already pretty data heavy understand the value of data. But like it seems like across your career, working all these great companies, you've definitely probably like implemented data strategies, probably had some learnings of what went really well or some mistakes. Like any highlights as far as like, wow, this is something that I've implemented at every company with data that's really helped or maybe something that's like, oh, this is something to avoid when thinking about data and attribution?
1: I don't know if I'll be too prescriptive of like, this is always something that I would always implement. I will say though that like, generally, I guess, like grouping data into digestible cohorts, like is it product data? Is it data from user activity? Is it data at the social intent side of things like grouping those things is something that like you know there's usually data points at each one of those different channels or touch points that is relevant and then it's kind of like figuring out like what is the relevant thing about your product data or user intent data that you want to act on you know there's like go-to data triggers like you know did they connect a new integration did they add a new person to their workspace like these are all triggers that are typically go-to triggers but i wouldn't say it's like prescriptive to that one of those things like works across every single like use case so i don't know if that even answers the question but i would say it's bespoke but then there's also just kind of like these pillars that you know you probably want to tap into and look into when you're like coming in from a blank slate and being like okay what data can we surface to our go-to-market teams or what data can we use in our marketing so i guess that's what i'll say but we can dig in from there too
0: i think your point about grouping is really important to call out because and ben i wanted to ask you about this I feel like so often as marketers, we fall in the trap of we're like, we'll just throw data at the sales team and they'll figure it out and use it. And I think that even the nuance of like choosing a few things to highlight or making sure it's very clear where it came from or what the context is, I'm curious if that's ever been an issue for you where you're just kind of like thrown data by the marketing team.
2: I think generally speaking, the sales teams are excited and open to data, but I think Natalie... The piece that many marketers don't fully understand is we're less concerned with exactly what the data is, where it came from, or, or or what you're providing us. I think the biggest thing for sales folks is they want to just be able to easily find it and digest it, right? So when I'm preparing for a call, when I have a demo coming up and I'm preparing for this. I don't want to have to open 15 different tabs, open emails, open a bunch of different slacks to find the data from my team. It's all about like, can I find it in like a consolidated area? And I know Kevin White, this is one of the problems you all are, are tackling right now at Common, but being able to like quickly and efficiently ingest the data that you all are providing is, is what is I think probably most important for sales teams. So it isn't super helpful to provide us with a ton of data. If I have to look 10 different places to find it, I just want to be able to easily access it and digest it as I'm preparing. Yeah,
1: Ben. I actually, have a question for you. Or like, what I've seen, I, I want to kind of you know bounce this off you. Is that I feel like there's two problems with data and marketing teams passing data to the sales team. One is like we're just gonna throw the kitchen sink at you, and like we're gonna flood you with like all this data, and you're gonna see every single product activity in the CRM, and you're not gonna know like which one of those signals made a difference, or even how to like cater a call or follow up or anything to that. So that's like one side of the problem. Then the other side of the problem is you just get zero visibility into anything. So it's like data siloed in a data warehouse. Like the data team is super protective over it or like you as a seller, like will request it, but you'll get the data like two weeks later. And then you can't like calibrate and all this stuff in in real time and get fast feedback to make action. So I feel like it's one, I typically see like two sides of the spectrum. One is like too much data and it's like analysis paralysis or it's just like you're blind to any data that's like relevant, but you know it's there and you're frustrated. So I don't know if that jives with you, but I feel like that's what I've seen across the board.
2: Yeah, I think that makes sense. And Kevin, something we were chatting about before we hit play today on the podcast was you were jumping on some sales calls and you literally said transparently like, Hey, I have, you know, an understanding now for sales reps, because I just learned that maybe not all of the data that marketers provide is actually relevant or super helpful. So my challenge to marketers is, Hey, I know you all are like doing this out of good faith. You're trying to enable us with all of this data, but how often do you go to your sales reps and be like, okay. Of these 10 data points that I send you all the time, which ones you actually use, which ones you actually not care about. So for marketers, I don't know how often this really happens, but I would certainly challenge you to do what Kevin did today and jump on some sales calls, whether you're leading them or shadowing and really like get in the trenches and get in front of customers and understand, wow, this is super valuable. And "Eh, I know my sales team doesn't use this because it actually isn't really relevant. Yeah, I'm feeling a tremendous
1: amount of empathy for, for sellers on our team right now. I've been uh, thrown into the fire and taking sales calls from a new product launch uh, that we've had at Common Room in the past like week or so. It's a really great problem to have like more demand that we can field on the AE side of things. But as I'm taking these calls and like they're back to back to back, I'm like, okay, what data can I quickly get access to so that I can cater to the discovery process in the right way and ask the right questions and then like take that information that I learned from the prospect side of things and then cater that to a demo that's gonna be demo or just like talk about like what's going to be useful for them one one other thing on the marketing end that I've noticed from doing all the selling stuff is like, I feel like as marketers, we're like, okay, we're going to make this perfect sales deck. It's going to be like a great story. It's going to have 15 slides and it's going to be like the perfect narrative. So like once we deliver this narrative, like who's not going to buy from us? And like, that is absolutely not how it goes in sales calls. It's like, okay, like let's just talk about like a few high level things based on our initial discovery question. I'll show you like what you care about and then jump into like the actual product. Even though I've created the deck with the product marketing people at Common room and our CEO, like, I feel like I show a couple slides and then like things just go all over the place, depending on what the person on the other end is saying and telling me and, you know, trying to deliver as much value as I can in like a 30 minute span. So I certainly can see the value in like collaborating more closely with the sales team and actually like doing it yourself as a marketer.
2: So, And Kevin, I think something you said earlier that I literally wrote down because I wanted to get back to it is Natalie knows this. A lot of our, our listeners know this. I, by nature, am not very data-driven. It's something I want to get better at, and more on that here in a minute. But I think to your point, Kevin, there's an incorrect way to provide data, which is too much data. It's unorganized. We have no visibility to where it's coming from. But the idea that you mentioned at the beginning of the podcast of using data to create a better user experience, that is exactly how we try to shape all of our go-to-market functions at Novatic. How can we make Novatic easier to buy, enjoyable to purchase, and just friendly to work with and so using data to help improve that user experience is something that I think personally, I could probably do a whole lot better of. So I think when you think about it from that perspective, marketers, it's not again about like the quantity or all these different avenues. It's more just like, hey, is this data focused on creating a better experience for our end user, for our prospect and customer? And that is something that your sales team will always be able to get on board with.
0: So Kevin and Ben, you both mentioned like, there's some data that's good, some data that's bad. Curious even Kevin from your, your few calls you've had, What has been the one piece of data where it's like, oh, wow, I really needed to know this before the call? And what have been things where it's like, eh, that maybe wasn't actually as useful as I thought it would be?
1: The things before the call that I'm noticing is uh, really helpful. It's just like, what is their entry point? And by entry point, I mean, you know, how did they raise their hand or get into our funnel? Like, was it from an outbound cold call? Was it from, you know, we do like a gift card program that's kind of like a bribery a little bit on LinkedIn, where it's like, you know, you'll take a demo for a $105 gift card. Is the incentive there to just like get the gift card and can you just like win them over? Or did they sign up for your product and like, are they super active in your product or did they raise their hand for a demo? So, like, all of the different intent levels of like how they entered into taking the call make a really big difference. I think the other part is the context of their user journey, like what's their tech stack look like, how have they like engaged with us in the past so you can get kind of like a trail of like, okay, they have four members in their workspace and like I'm talking with the person who's hands-on, but I need to like get to the economic buyer or whatever. So like that kind of context of like what their product usage and like their journey helps out a ton those are the things that I've been like turning to for the most part. And it's gotta be like really fast too. So this is kind of like, you know, you need to like be able to quickly surface this data up really fast because when you're preparing for a call, sometimes you have like a minute or two or sometimes you're doing it as you're like pulling up Zoom. So, you know, the faster, I mean, it's great if you have all the prep time beforehand, but that's like not always reality. So um, I'm finding like the quick like tidbits
2: are the like key things for now. Yeah.
0: Ben, what about you?
2: Yeah, I think Kevin, so like at Novatic, it's very common for a sales team to have five, six, seven, eight, nine, sometimes 10, 11 calls in a day. And oftentimes a lot of those are back to back to back, right? So you, in an ideal world, my reps are taking time in the mornings before their day starts to do a lot of the prep. That isn't always the case. They do their best. So to your point, oftentimes it's how much information can I digest in the 36 seconds I have between calls. And so I think number one, the source is always really interesting, right? Because it's a completely different playbook. If this is somebody that a BDR passed to me, I'm going to run a completely different discovery conversation. And even like the icebreaker questions than if I know that they came inbound. And then generally speaking, like a quick LinkedIn scrape can provide a lot of information. Where are they located? Like icebreaker questions. You're in Denver, Colorado. Okay. I played baseball in Denver for two summers. Like, gen- like have you ever worked at a company that we already partner with? Like, oh, cool. You work at, you know, Mixpanel. we been partnered with Mixed Panel for two years, these different types of things. Um, what company are you coming from? Is it a competitor in a space that we have a lot of a large presence in? Because then I know kind of a talk track of, hey, you work at Brex, but well, we also partner with Ramp and all these other companies. So those are like the quick scrapes you can gather from LinkedIn. If I don't have a lot of time, that's kind of what I'm looking at. Yeah. In a technology company too, we're trying to like plug into someone's existing
1: systems. I always find it helpful to like understand what their tech stack is. It's like, are they using a competitor or not? Are they using software that your, your product can plug into super well? Those things are always objections that tend to come up. So I found like tech stack enrichments. And also, Ben, you mentioned like where they were previously. Like that's also a very interesting signal that I find is helpful, but I don't always like have access to it. So plus one to that. But tech stack is also one that's like super helpful for me, at least.
0: Kevin, I want to ask about the tech stack because I've definitely been on calls before where reps sometimes will be like, oh, I saw you use this tool. Like, I'm a marketer. I totally get how they saw it. But every now and then, it's still like a little intrusive. It's like, wait, how do you know that? Like, Ben and Kevin, have you found a good way to maybe hint at the fact that you know they use a competitor or that they use an integration? Or is it like, hey, I just say it and everyone gets the game now and no one cares? I
1: I guess I can feel that. I kind of feel out who I'm talking with, I guess, a little bit. Or um, like you don't have to be outright and upfront about everything, right? You can kind of like know that what their tech stack is, and like just kind of like, you know, nudge them to like say what it is by planting, like, and this is me as a seller talking, like planting questions like, you know, if you're using a, a product like HubSpot or Salesforce, like, by the way, like, which one are you using? And but you like know what it is, or nudge at like, are you using like a competitive product or something? Like, it typically comes out in the conversation. But like, if it's a growth marketer, I'll just be like, hey, like, I, I see which products you're using. Like, are you still using these or not? I know this data's like not exactly accurate. So I kind of like will level set based on who I'm talking to and kind of feel it out that way, I guess.
2: I think you can use that information to gain some like leverage or credibility in the space, right? So like we sell to a lot of marketers and so I can go on their website or I can figure out like, are they using HubSpot? Are they using Clearbit? So during the discovery portion of the conversation, when I'm trying to understand where we might need to plug Novatic into knowing Kevin that maybe you use like Clearbit and HubSpot, for example, I can say, Hey, most of the marketers we chat with are curious to understand how Novatic analytics can plug into their current tech stack. Typically marketers are using like a Clearbit or HubSpot. What do you all use? I already know, but now I sound like an expert because I named the tech stack that you already use. Yeah, yeah, I like that way of framing the question. That works well, yeah.
0: Sort of similar vein, but a little different. Kevin, when we were talking about this topic, one thing you mentioned was like intent data and how parts of it are broken. And I'm always so curious, like, you know, with intent data, it tells us that this buyer is in market or this buyer is just perusing. As a marketer or as a sales rep for both of you all, have you ever seen like how much the intent data actually matches the intent of the person or do you just not even pay attention to it?
1: Yeah, I, I could feel this one. I have definitely have strong feelings here and I'm obviously a bit biased with Common Room being a one source of intent. So I'm not going to name names, but there are intent providers out there that, you know, offer up intent. And I feel like there's a disconnect between our intent signals. And I feel like there's a disconnect between like who they're selling to and who like the end user is. And so like oftentimes those platforms will sell to a marketer and the marketer is like, great. Like I get all these accounts. I can like run ads against these accounts. I can say like these are qualified accounts that I'm going to like pass over to my sellers. But then the on the selling end, they're like, okay, great. I got this like list of accounts, but like, who do I go after? Like, is this intent signal coming from an intern? Is it coming from like a, an economic buyer? Like, yeah, if you have a small, like hundred person company, you can probably figure out who the right person to reach out to is. But I feel like it still brings like analysis paralysis to the reps where it's like, okay, yeah, I get this intent signal. Like they mentioned this thing that they're interested in digital transformation in their S3 or whatever, or S1, S3 is Amazon, their, their, their financial, um, What good is that signal? Like, does it actually mean anything? And so I'm a really big advocate of having identity attached to intent. Part of the reason why I even joined Common Room is that like, yes, we're pulling in these intent signals, like, people using your product, economic buyers following a competitor, um, people mentioning things that they're interested in, in different channels like LinkedIn or Reddit, for example, and the ability to like look at that intent and tie it to an actual user and know that, oh, this user who's showing this intent signal is actually a person who is at an account that I would want to get into. The identity layer there makes like such a
0: difference. I feel like a lot of marketers right now are talking about like ABM intent. I've had a lot of these conversations because it's, like a weird swing back to ABM right now. For the longest time, I felt like there was a huge push in ABM and then it quieted down a little bit. And now I think because people have less spend, ABM is becoming really trendy and intent data is becoming really trendy again. And if nothing else, I think so much of marketing feels sometimes like you're just throwing things out into the world and hoping it sticks. And I think marketers get a lot of just like validation from this idea of like, oh no, but these companies are in market, so I'm not wasting my money. I am spending it correctly, targeting these accounts. But I always wonder, it's like, it still feels like such a black box. Like, are they really in market? Who's in market? What does that mean? So it's funny that it's having this little resurgence, but also a lot of people I talk to are very skeptical of it.
1: Yeah, I, I agree with that. I, I feel like the way I approach intent signals and in account-based marketing, one is like, you know, are you able to identify like the exact like high quality accounts? but with really strict criteria that you, like, you know your sales team is going to like, get value out of. When one thing that was interesting that we did at Common Room is we had like, a pretty broad total addressable market of like 10,000 people, uh, sorry, 10,000 accounts. And then we narrowed that down based on the signals that we're seeing and conversations that we're having on the sales side to like 2,000 people, or sorry, 2,000 accounts. I keep on mixing people and accounts. And so we were like, okay, we're going to like significantly narrow our, our target accounts. And like this is a big risk because like, we're not going to get as much pipeline because we're not, we don't have as much surface area on the marketing side. But what we found is when we refined that list to 2,000 accounts, we were able to have like much more precise messaging and messaging that resonated more with our, our core buyer. So we actually saw a pipeline go up as a result of narrowing our target accounts. The other thing I'll say there, which I was planning, I I went on a little tangent, but the way I like to start with intent is like, okay, define your target accounts, but then also like go towards the highest level of intent and work your way up first. And what I mean by that is like, are there accounts that you can sell to that are using your product? Like that is a pretty high intent signal. And and people tend to go like much higher up in the funnel just because that's where the volume is. But if you like start at the bottom of the funnel, that's where you're going to have the most success and then work your way up then you can get to the scale and figure out that like motion. So it's much easier to figure out the motion when their intent level is higher. And that's usually towards the
2: bottom of funnel. What's interesting, Kevin, is that approach that you took around taking those 10,000 people, no, I'm just kidding, accounts, and narrowing it down to to 2,000 is I've had a lot of conversations with a few friends in my network recently who are, are starting to build out their BDR motion. And they're trying to like, get advice around like what their strategy, their playbooks should be. And I just, it's interesting to see how much like the outbound game has changed. I got started at Square like seven and a half years ago in tech and I started as a BDR. And back then it was like, I i kind of equate it to like, I was a foot soldier at the time, right? Like 50 to 75 calls a day, spray and pray, throw out a million emails. And now I think like the most successful BDRs are not foot soldiers, they're snipers, right? They're sending out, 20 to 30 hyper-personalized multi-threaded messages across different channels. And that by far is the most successful. And the reason I believe it is the most successful is because now, and I'm sure you all are in the same boat, I get 15 messages, calls, texts, LinkedIn, DMs a day from BDRs, and the ones that I take the time to respond to are the ones that are clearly hyper-personalized. Even if the answer is no, like I understand and respect the effort that went into that, but I am never responding to that like super generic, obvious email. And so like if me as a potential buyer persona is turned off by that, I would never be encouraging my sales team to like Take that approach, and I think to your point with ABM or just marketing in general, like continuing to refine and using uh, these data points to attack like clearly more focused accounts is the direction that everybody's going. Yeah, one other thing I'll add to that is I'm not
1: sure what time, when this is going to be published, but just I think it was yesterday or the day before there was that email that went out from Outreach that was like, okay, we're going to block anyone who's sending more than five thousand messages a day from a single domain because like Google and Yahoo are going to penalize you for that it coming February 2024 or something. I mean that was like all over marketing and, and sales LinkedIn yesterday so i think that that's really telling it just you know google and yahoo aren't going to do what's not best for their users and so the spray and pray approach is something that is like being weeded out and so you can't do it anymore so we're forcing companies to do the, what's right for users and i think it's all a good sign like we're we're not panicked at common room because we're like we're doing things the right way so i think you know if you have a large team and you're and you're taking this like you know really like scorch earth approach like that. Those are the people who are panicked, but like we're sitting back being like, okay, we send like 400 precise emails and LinkedIn DMs a day. Like there's no issue with what's going on for our SDRs and selling team here. So
2: I know we're coming up on time. I have a question that is kind of out of the blue that Kevin, you, it's if you're not totally prepared to answer, that's fine. But I guess my question is kind of like a two-parter coming from somebody in sales who is not particularly data-driven. My questions are number one, Have you always been passionate about data? And somebody who is not particularly naturally passionate about data, can it be learned? Because I think when I think about like how I can be better at my job at Nevada and just my general career growth, it's something I need to improve on. And if you do believe it can be learned, where and how do I start? Okay, let me me, uh, see if I can take those one at a time. First one, have I always
1: been passionate about data? I would say definitely not. I mean, when I was, uh, I'm from Huntington Beach and grew grew up surfing and I don't think I had any data points on my mind other than like, maybe like I wanted to know what the swell direction was, what the uh, wave height was, all that kind of stuff what the wind and weather was like, so that's, that's one data point. Maybe that's what got me into data, but I pretty much haven't been uh, into data my whole career. Definitely becoming, getting into B2B SaaS, like maybe very data oriented and like understanding like, oh, I got to like figure out this data thing um or otherwise I'm going to like not be successful in this role as a growth marketer and operations person like got me more interested in data. I would say that, you know, for those people, I think this is addressing the second part of the question. That for the people who, you know, aren't data driven or data informed right now but want to like get into it because they know it's like a good path and they know it's going to help them be successful. It's, like it doesn't have to be that scary. I think in my experience, experience is what makes you learn the fastest. So, like, you could read all the books and like read all the blog posts or whatever out there about data. But my suggestion to folks would be to just get your hand dirty, try and figure stuff out. Like, if you learn by doing, especially with data, you'll get more familiar with it. It won't be the scary thing, and you'll be able to use it and wield it to make your job, career performance, company performance better. So, you know, the SQL courses and stuff like that that you could use, but you don't need that. You could just like start looking in your Salesforce data or, you know, Google Analytics reports, things like that if you have access to and, you know, make it a practice to just like get your hands dirty and like tinker with things and even try I mean, I don't know if this is the best advice, but try and break stuff because if you break stuff that's on the data team, it's like they should make stuff durable. So that's my suggestion there.
2: <laughs> I love that. I'm going to go uh, crack another beer and dive into GA4 for the next hour after this. <laughs>
0: yeah, I was going to say, Ben, are you going to log into our GA4 now?
2: I fear I might. Oh man,
1: GA4, uh, that's another topic that we shouldn't get into, I think. <laughs> that's what every marketer
2: says.
0: I was about to say, like I've, like I've been GA certified since I first started marketing and I don't think I can make a report in GA4. <laughs> well, as always, this flew by. Before we end, any final thoughts or tips about how to use data better with sales and marketing alignment or like just better ways to surface data to your sales team?
1: I would just go back to my uh, advice from earlier. It's like, don't be afraid of it. Get your hands dirty. Try to get access to it. Try to use it. Um, get experience with it. So that would be my, my recommendation is uh, jump in full force and try and figure it out if, you, if you're really interested.
2: Use and find data to create a better user experience as Kevin White so elegantly put it at the beginning of the, uh, the podcast. I'm going to steal that over and over again, Kevin. So take it. It's yours. Appreciate it. And thanks so much again for, uh, for the time and coming on. Really, really enjoyed the talk today. Likewise. Thanks, everyone.
0: Yeah, thanks for joining us, Kevin.